And, and, and usually, the hardest part of that is when you want to do two things and they're both good. So you're choosing between something that's good and something that's good. And one of them's got to win because you can't be in both places at once. I mean, who was it? Michael Keaton that kind of tried that with the movie Multiplicity, but that's really fiction and we don't live in fiction. So how many of you wished you could clone yourself? <laughs> yeah, well, the rest of us probably don't want you to be cloned. <laughs> I know that people feel that way about me. One of... One of me is plenty. More than that, forget about that. <laughs> but we can't do that. You know, I really wanted to hear, I really wanted to be here last Sunday and hear about how God had intersected uh, lives of those of you that were able to be at the Holy Spirit uh, weekend. And I was, I was pretty irked about not that. I was on a bus on the way to Washington with the senior class from Keystone. And... Uh, I, I've worked pretty hard at not responding to things that came words, using words that came pretty naturally before. So I'll just say bummer. And then I realized that on December 3rd, which is uh, Pastor Tim's first week here, I'm not going to be here then either. Double bummer. It's nuts. Well, one thing I've learned, though, is that every experience we have, whether it's planned out or whether it's spontaneous, uh, none of those things happen outside of God's presence. Are you aware of that? None of them happen outside of God's presence. And, you know, we know in our brains that God is everywhere, right? He sees everything, knows everything. We know all of that. But sometimes we really stop for a second and something changes in, within us and our awareness of Him goes from just this mental understanding to like, oh, He's here. He showed up. And, and that happens in unexpected ways. Would you agree? It happens in unexpected ways. Um, did you ever, were you ever reading the scripture and something that your eyes has passed, have passed over many times, a, a familiar passage, suddenly takes on a new meaning? That ever happened to you? I mean, Eric just talked about it, didn't he? In that passage in John. Come and see. Come, you know, come and you'll see. And that was something that, I'm sure he wrote, read that many times before. But that's just God showing up. Ever been out for a, for a quiet drive or a, or a walk in the woods and, and God shows up? Have you had that experience? It's different. It changes us. Um, some thought or some impression whispers something new to us that helps us see and understand something we've never, never um, seen before. Have you ever, did you ever listen to someone say a particular combination of words and instead of it just passing through the filter of your hearing like it normally would, somehow it gains some type of a mass and it makes an impact instead of just, you know, either going in and resting there or going in one side and out the other, whatever your normal hearing patterns are. That, that's God showing up. That's God showing up. How, how does it feel when that happens? How is that different for us? You get this sense that the, the creator of the universe, the one who made you, is actually interested in you and interested in what you're thinking and what you're doing and, and is interested in communicating his love and his truth to you. You get the idea that he wants to guide you. He wants to guide you. He wants you not to wander around like somebody who's lost and doesn't even know they're lost. 
Anybody ever been there? I mean, I think we've all been through some stuff like that. When I was younger, uh, it was a very popular thing. I don't know whether this phrase has been used in more recent generations or not, but I had a lot of friends who wanted to go find themselves. When you're looking, when you're using the word find, doesn't it imply that there's something lost? Right? I don't know how you can be lost unless you're missing. But in that sense, I guess there was something to that. I never went and found myself. I guess I was a little bit uh, against the grain there. I think uh, we all want to, to sense that, that God is, is there for us. I, I think we want that even though we don't always think. And, and I think that once you encounter God... I mean, have you ever done anything where you really felt like God used you? Have you ever said something to someone or that that God used you? And and if you have a relationship with Him, doesn't that make you want to be used more? Uh, I I think it does for lots of us. Um, the biggest fear we all have is to be not loved. Because we're really known. You know what I mean? Man, if you knew what was going on inside, if you knew what was going on in my head, if you knew what I was really like, you wouldn't love me. I think that's our universal biggest fear. The good news is, is that God already knows all that stuff and He loves us anyway. He loves us anyway. He doesn't want us to really think of ourselves as some insignificant tool in his bag of kingdom tricks, um, even though we're unique. So how, how are we used by God? How, how are we used by him? Um, we might give somebody a word of encouragement, right? Um, we might go on a mission trip, um, I love Ron. I love this man's heart. And when he was talking about that thing up there, that mud cloth, that meant something to him, not just because of what our church family did, but because his feet have been on the soil of Molly. He's been there. So it's not just, oh, that's a very nice looking mud cloth. You know, that means something to him because he was there. And I appreciate that that, that kind of experience, being on that missions trip, changed him in that way. Uh, maybe we'll lend somebody a hand. Might be something small. Maybe we'll meet somebody for coffee or make a phone call to someone that needs to hear from us. Maybe we'll lead a small group. Or take someone shopping. Maybe we'll sponsor an orphan. Or make a plate of cookies. That happens to be one of my favorite things to have around. Cookies. Platefuls of them, although I'm trying to be better. Maybe we'd watch someone's children. So they, the, the mom and dad in that family can like speak in complete sentences to each other. <laughs> or go out for dinner and not have to cut each other's food. <laughs> you know, those, these are all ways that we do this stuff. Maybe we help somebody with a financial need. Or we send a note. Or we meet someone for a Bible study. Or we have a four by four meal. Or we, I don't know which one just popped up. Or we pray. It's up in the upper left. Or we work on a project with someone to help them. and Or we give somebody a ride to the doctor. Or we make a visit at the hospital. Or we give a gift to someone. These are all ways that we can be used by God. And when we're deciding to do that, probably, maybe with the exception of the prayer, Bible study, mission trip kind of thing, we're probably just doing it because we care about that person. We're not really trying to do it to get brownie points with God. Right? 
Because there's nothing that we can do to make Him love us more. Just like Mark said in worship. There's nothing. He, I mean, God can do anything, right? But He can't love you more. Because He's already loving you to the max. He's already loving you to the max. And all of the things on this list are great things. And God can certainly use them. But I think there's more. I think there's more than than just these things. I, I think there's more. And to live in such a way that His Word describes to us as life to the full or life abundantly requires us to take another step. And we've been talking about step by step and moving into a new season as we're anticipating Pastor Tim coming here and sensing what direction God wants to move our church and what he wants us to be doing. But our next step's got to be this. We've got to step into that power. We've got to step into the power. Rob said so much. Um, in the sessions that he led when he was here a couple of weekends ago. But one of the things he said struck me, and, and I want to I camp out on that idea this morning because I think it's a truth that we need to get a hold of, not just to understand it, but to appropriate it, to grab it, to apprehend it, and to incorporate it in our lives. He, he, Rob pointed out that Jesus was fully man you agree with that jesus was fully man he was a hundred percent man when he was born somebody cut an umbilical cord okay he had dirty diapers he spilled his milk you know he ran and played and skinned his knees and did all the things that you and i did when we were growing up he was fully man But he was still God. And sometimes I think we think that all of the cool stuff that Jesus did, he did because he was Jesus. You know? Like Richie Rich. Have you seen the movie Richie Rich? Macaulay Culkin was still small then. And he's Richie Rich, the richest kid there is, and all that kind of thing. He doesn't have any friends. And he makes things happen because he's Richie Rich, because he has unlimited financial assets. And I think we think that when Jesus did the stuff he did, he did it because he was Jesus. And he had like this line of withdrawal. He had like this divine ATM machine or something. And that's not really it. That's not really it. You know, the idea of him being fully God and fully man is beyond our understanding. But Paul writes some words inspired by the Holy Spirit to help us understand this. So we're going to start with that idea. And this is uh, in Philippians chapter 2. If you want to turn there or you can just read it up on the screen. Now Paul is encouraging believers here to have a certain mindset. But in the explanation of this mindset, he's illustrating this idea of what it meant for Jesus, eternal, omnipotent, part of the Trinity, to become man. And it says this, Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I'm going to stop right there for a second. Look at that phrase. Did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Look at this spot right here did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. What this means is that when Jesus was in operation in his ministry, it wasn't like he says, oh, you know, here's this guy, 
been blind since birth. I think I'll just straighten him up here. Everybody will be happy about that. So he walks over to the divine ATM machine, puts in his code and his little card, and he gets this miracle, gives it to the guy, and the guy gets his sight back. That's not what he did. He did not have that access. He laid that aside. He could have had it. He, he could have had it, but he didn't. He emptied himself. The, the word that we use to refer to that is kenosis, and it means the self-emptying, the self-emptying of one's own will and becoming entirely receptive to God's divine will. The, that word um, here means that Jesus made that choice as God to set his godness aside. We must be careful to understand that this emptying did not mean that all of the godness of Jesus was unavailable to him. In fact, he had the, the ability at any moment he chose to access it completely without reservation. This means he was fully God and fully man. So if he did the miracles, but he wasn't accessing this stuff because he was God, how did he do it? How did he do it? He, he did it by being in complete communion with the Father. Not since Adam had any human being been in complete communion with the Father. There was no hindrance. There was no sin. Nothing to block that relationship. And in the process, based on what Paul had written, he was completely surrendered to the Father's will. Now this enabled him to hear the Father's voice and, and to see what it was that the Father wanted him to do. And as Henry Blackaby says, to join him in it. Now this isn't just good news for us. This is exciting news because of two things that Jesus says about this. The first, um, the first thing he says is found here in Matthew chapter 19. And this particular instance is found in Matthew 19 and in Mark 10. And both of these chapters from two different Gospels recount a conversation between Jesus and somebody who is pretty wealthy and young. Now, if you're wealthy and young, how do you think you feel? Don't. Proud. I got it together, man. I got my Beamer. Um, Sharon and I were in New York um, on Friday for a wedding in Brooklyn. And this is, I know this is going to come as a shock, but we stayed at a hotel that had like eight parking places even though they have more than eight rooms, right? So I knew this going in time, so I, I pre-reserved the parking spot. And um, then on Saturday, we went over to the Christmas show at Radio City Music Hall because we'd never seen it, always wanted to. We were there, why not? So went from Brooklyn and my reserved parking place there to a different reserved parking place in Manhattan. And as I was picking the car up yesterday, this younger for sure guy who was chic. And believe me, he knew he was chic. <laughs> His hair was perfect. He had the scarf, just so, the right kind of jacket. And he made sure that I saw that when he opened his wallet, to extract a couple of dollar bills to give to the valet guy because they don't let you park in these garages for some reason, that I saw that there was a lot of paper in that wallet. <laughs> you know? And of course, the valet guy comes pulling up in what? A Mercedes. And he just got right in that. And I, you know... <laughs> so I thought to myself, this guy really thinks he's got it together. And I imagine that that was the same kind of mindset 
that this rich young guy had when he came to Jesus and he asked him this question. Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And, and when Jesus... Well, first of all, this guy is operating on a notion that many of us have about life and, and how we live it to the max. What must I do? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Have you ever sat down and made a plan? Well, I'm going to save this much money. I'm going to do this. I used to read the, uh, the introductions for the homecoming court and prom court and stuff like that at Keystone. I mean, I'm still doing that, but somehow people, when they have the kids fill this stuff out, they ask them, what are your future plans? And some of them are hysterical. <laughs> I'm going to finish up. I'm going to go to college somewhere and get a degree in something. And then I'm going to get, I'm going to become very rich, marry a hot girl, and live in a dream house by the beach where it never gets cold. You know? What is all that? That's us answering the question, what must I do? What must I do? Work hard, save your money, make good decisions, have good character, eat right, go get some sleep, do this, do that. And if the truth is told, most of that advice is good advice, don't you think? Most of it's good advice. How many of you who are who consider yourselves now to be well into the whole mystique of adulthood <laughs> wish that some of the stuff you know now you knew when you were 16. Look, do this again. Put your hands back up. Young people, look at the hands. Look at the hands. <clears throat> we didn't know when we were your age. And you don't either. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you this. If you want to be smarter than we were, ask questions and learn from our mistakes. You don't have to make them. I'm just telling you. You don't have to make them. So here's Jesus' answer to this guy. He says, look, keep the law. I mean, that was what, that's what they had. And the guy says, oh, I've done all that stuff. I have done that. And then Jesus says, oh, one other thing. Get rid of all your stuff. Give the money to the poor. And the guy goes, say what? And he becomes downcast. And he walks away sad. See, Jesus knew that this guy's grip on the things that he acquired was strong and it held the highest place of importance in his heart and after that conversation jesus explained to his disciples this whole idea by saying that a childlike faith is what was needed and they just like this guy they weren't expecting that answer they weren't expecting that so they said What do you mean? See, keeping the law part, that was, a, that was an easy answer to hear because it puts the responsibility squarely on your shoulders. It means that you're in charge of following the rules. And that's why the young man was quick and probably proud to say that he had done those things. Jesus knew that, but he says this then in explanation. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And he says the same thing a little bit differently in Mark chapter 10, verse 27. Um, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Now this statement emphatically points us to a truth that it's impossible for us to do anything to receive eternal life. We're not getting into heaven by dying with the most toys. We're not getting into heaven by not having anything. 
We're not getting into heaven because we went A, B, C, D, E, F, G and crossed them off our list. No amount of hard work or saving or building relationships or anything is going gonna, is gonna to make that accessible to us. And Paul reminds us of that when he says, it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Look at that phrase right there. It's not from yourselves. It's the gift from God. I, I believe that anything that requires God to make it happen is a miracle. I've just been thinking about that. Anything that requires God to make it happen is a miracle. Uh, and every miracle is an example of his power. Um, in this case, when we're talking about eternal life, what are we talking about? We're talking about the miracle of salvation, right? Taking people who are dead, taking people who are lost, making dead people alive, making lost people found. It's God opening his arms to us, inviting us into a relationship with him. And in that relationship, not only do we, we get the eternal life part, uh, an, an eternal life of unbroken communion, we find ourselves in a new place, a place where the Father restores us, renews us, provides for us, protects us, teaches us and transforms us into the image of His Son. In fact, goes so far as to call us sons. And living out that transformation, we become agents of light in a darkened world. We, we, we are the evidence of, of the hope that he offers to everyone. And our lives become a testimony of, of his love and its matchless power. Here's the second thing that Jesus said about this that, that's so exciting. In John's Gospel, Jesus makes a statement that is mind-blowing. And this is the part that I came to when Rob said Jesus was fully man it was this idea, very, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. I had to stop right there. Everyone who believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. Now that gave me pause. But then look what he goes on and says, and they will do even greater things than these? because I'm going to the Father. They will do even greater things than these. Jesus did some pretty awesome things, didn't he? He did some pretty amazing, never before ever seen in the history of the world things. And we're supposed to do them too? And we're supposed to do even greater things than that? What kind of work, what kind of things did he do? His, here's his answer. Go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight. How many of you have helped some blind person receive sight? Hmm. An absence of hands. The lame walk. How many of you have seen someone who was disabled, who couldn't walk, be able to walk because of something you did? No more hands up for that one either. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. We might have a shot at that one. Right? And every other time that I've read this, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. You know, I'll, I'll leave, that, leave that other stuff for the people who really are full enough of the Holy Spirit that they can dispense that kind of healing or be an agent of it or something. But I'll at least try to proclaim the good news to the poor. This was tough. And then I began to really think about it. All that stuff that I asked you about that none of you said you had done, 
That's happening. You know where it's happening? It's happening in places where the gospel's getting into people's culture where they don't know any better. Where their brains are not saying, oh, that can't happen. It's happening in Africa. All over the place in Africa. It's happening in places where that we consider to be uncivilized and, and primitive. Sometimes what happens is dramatic. It happens in America too, by the way. It happens in North America, in, in places where God has decided to, to respond to people's cries for His presence in, enough that He shows up. When I say the word Brownsville, what does that mean to any of you? Do any of you know that word? What, what, what was it? There was a big revival there, right? People were going to Brownsville in busloads. Toronto, in busloads. 1970, there was a huge revival at Asbury College in Wil Wilmore, Kentucky. Because God is interested in showing up. He's interested in showing up and, and making his power known. You know who this is? Anybody recognize that girl? Here's her name. Whoops. Cheryl Pruitt. She was Miss America in 1980. Yes, there were people alive in 1980. Okay? Look at her. Would you... Would you say that she's an attractive woman? Does this look like someone whose face had 20 stitches in it from a car accident? Serious enough for t 20 stitches in her face and a crushed leg before she was Miss America. Okay. How'd that happen? How did she look like that? Does she know a good plastic surgeon? Miraculously healed. No trace. No side effects. No nothing. And when she became Miss America, she attested to this publicly. And she made it part of her platform. In fact, she was the first Miss America to have a platform which was a cause other than don't I look good in a bathing suit? You know, give me some money to go to college. It wasn't that for her. She saw it was an opportunity and she's still doing that today. She's still telling people about this because she's been the recipient. Jesus is inviting us to step into his power, to step into the power of the Holy Spirit that Rob talked about that. And, and how do you do that? How do you step in? You do it by believing. You do it by faith. Now, don't ask me why somebody like Cheryl Pruitt gets healed and somebody else doesn't get healed. I have heard people say, oh, well, you'd have been healed if you'd have just had enough faith. I just want to walk up and smack them when that happens. You know why? Because they're not God. And they shouldn't be saying why God decides to do what God decides to do. Because He's God and He's deciding. You're not. I'm not going to pretend to know the answer. I don't know what enough faith looks like for everybody. But I do know this. If you're going to interact with God, you have to have faith. You have to have it. Look at this story here. This is uh, in Mark chapter 9. To set this stage, Jesus comes on this crowd and they're having an argument with the teachers of the law. And we pick the story up in verse 17. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit but they could not. 
You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. I feel like if we did this right now, we would put S-H-H, shakes his head. You unbelieving generation. You can just see him. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the Spirit saw Jesus, it threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. Now, let me stop there for a second. Why would Jesus ask that question? Do you think he knew how long he'd been like that? I don't know if he knew or not. But because he asked the question, everybody in the crowd knew. Everybody in the crowd knew this wasn't like, well, you know, my, my kid went to the market last week and there must have been something going around. He came home with this thing. You know? So he asked the question. He's from childhood. <clears throat> it's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. Now look at this next line. This is big. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. Now, notice that Jesus didn't say, if you can, I'm Jesus. Under this robe, I have leotards that have a big S on it that means something. He didn't say that. He said everything is possible for one who believes. Jesus did not say to the guy, well, look, I'll be happy to help you out. You just got to go get all your ducks in line, get your faith going. And when you have enough faith, you come back and see me. And we'll talk about it. He never said that. He never said that. All he required for the guy to do was believe. And the man's response is, is interesting, isn't it? Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Why did he say this? Because he realized he might not have enough faith, enough belief. So he asked Jesus to help him have more. The point is, he had enough faith in the first place to even go ask Jesus. When he brought the boy to Jesus, he had enough faith. Because when you come to Jesus... You're coming in faith. You don't come because you have your act together. You don't come because your, your, your home is perfectly well organized. Your kids are all perfectly behaving. You, you don't come because your bank account's full. Uh, and you, you don't come because you have the right clothes or you have your scarf on just so or there's lots of money in your wallet. You come because you realize that Jesus is what you need in this situation. And nothing else will do. And there's an air of desperation about that. But there's also an element of faith. Faith is ours. Our step into God's power. Faith is our step into God's power. We all doubt. Anybody here who's never doubted? Never asked the question, why to God? I've asked plenty of questions, why? Just this, just yesterday, coming back, I thought, God, why do people think they can drive? I went to change lanes last night in a rainstorm in New Jersey. It's dark, and I'm, I signaled. I started moving to the left, and I hear this horn. Bing! And it's like right beside me. 
there is some person driving a dark-colored car with no headlights on. We all doubt. We, but, but when we desire to see God's work, results come when we step forward in faith. Here's, here's one for us all to look at. This is a familiar story. And Eric Bill mentioned the book of John. This is right from the second chapter. Okay? On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Do you realize what this is? Where is this in the whole spec timeline of Jesus' miracles? Number one, this is the first miracle. John doesn't use the word miracle. He uses the word signs. This is the first such sign, okay? So he hasn't been out doing any of this stuff. What is his mother really saying to him? She's saying, Jesus... Please intervene. This is like the first prayer for ministry to Jesus. Did you ever think about that? Doesn't look like a prayer, but I mean, it's what are we doing when we pray to God? Aren't we? Don't we make requests? Doesn't the Scripture say, "Make a request known"? So here's here's his mom making a request known to Jesus, her son. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour's not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he, said, whatever he tells you. Whatever he tells you. And nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. How much does a gallon of water weigh? About eight pounds. 20 gallons of water. Come on, math people. 160 pounds, 30 gallons of water, 240 pounds, okay? These are big jars. There are six of them. The, the servant, can you imagine the servants going to fill these things up? I mean, they're not, these things aren't used for drinking. They're used for ceremonial washing. This is like six baths worth of stuff. But they haul them out, fill them with water, and bring them back. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water, had been turned into wine, did not realize where it came from. And though the servants who had drawn the water knew, then he calls the bridegroom aside and said, Everybody brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Look at that line right there. And his disciples believed in him. This was their first glimpse that there was something really extraordinary about this man that they were following. His disciples believed in him. It was the first miracle. The re that belief and that faith was their, was their first step into God's power. Later, Jesus would send them out to minister in his love and power. When they came back, they said, the 72 returned and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Why? Why could they say this? Were they making that up? Do you think they were making that up? No. They came back and gave a report. You think Jesus was surprised? No. He knew. He knew that they could do that because he had given them the power to do it. He had given them the authority. 
we doubt. The faith calls us forward. Someone says, what, what if miracles are just coincidences? And, and we call them miracles so we feel better about our faith. Did you ever wonder that? Did you ever, ever, ever have anybody ask you that or something like that? William Temple said this. When I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't, they don't. Faith is your step into God's power. You've you got to believe that He's going to do this. You've got to believe that He can do it. You've got to believe that He wants to do it. And you've got to go to Him with that confidence. What's the definition of faith? Anybody remember? You can find it, in, I think it's in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Help me out here. The evidence of things not seen. The evidence of things not seen. Hollywood gets a hold of something like that. What do they do? They make a movie out of it. It's called Poltergeist or something. Who knows? You know? But we get to live that. Because faith helps us to put our feet on a rock that nobody can see. To take a step on a path that no one else can discern. To, to let our heart and our spirit respond to the wooing of Him who calls us. Him who loved us. Him who's who's commissioning us, him who's, who's wanting to use us, him who's transforming us. That's what makes a difference. John chapter 14, and I will do, Jesus speaking here, whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in his Son. John 14. One verse later. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And in the next chapter, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Now, for someone who doesn't believe, this sounds like what? This sounds like a Christmas list. This sounds like I'll just take this to Santa and get all this stuff because this is what I want and all I have to do is say I just want this in Jesus' name and that's not what he's talking about that's not what he's talking about God's God we're not but he wants us to step into his power believing what we sang this morning that that power is higher than whatever mountain we're facing. That it's stronger than anything. Strong enough to defeat the power of the grave. And that it's dependable, constant, a sure thing. Something that doesn't change even when the storm and the trial comes. Faith is our step into God's power. I, I don't know... I don't know what God might, or might be saying to you, if anything, this morning. But I know this. If you believe, if you're not... If something's not right within you, Something's a little out of whack. It's just out of line or something. Or, or there's something that's been bothering you or something you can't seem to shake or, or maybe you're not feeling well. The power of God's able to, to change all of that. All of it. You just have to take that step and believe. 
have to take that step and believe. In James, it says, is any of you sick? Let the elders come and pray for that person and anoint them with oil. And if they've confessed their sins, because the prayers of a righteous person make a difference, then they'll be healed. Does that mean that the, the oil has like some kind of like to it? No. It means that, that God's word contains power and being obedient to that word because we believe it will make a difference in your life. I'm going to invite Mark and, and the team to come back up. And if you would like to be prayed for this morning, for whatever, whatever thing is, is weighing heavily on, your, on you or, or sickness or anything like that, let me just invite you to come on up and sit in the front row and, and Keith and John and I will be happy to, to pray with you and pray for you. But I got to tell you something. You don't have to, you don't have to be an elder in your church to do this. Because when Jesus was talking about doing greater things, he didn't say, all the people who have this, 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 and this. He just said all the people who believe. All the people who believe. Will do these things and greater things than these. And greater things than these. Don't be afraid to step into the power. To step into his presence to let him do what he wants to do.